0: Good morning again. Don't say anything, it's okay. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just teasing, really, I'm just teasing. Um, If you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. It's kind of right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, If you want to follow along in the black Bibles that are nearby under the chairs, it'll be page 573. And today we're talking about peace incarnate. So, The incarnation is God took on flesh and dwelled among us, right? John 1 makes that clear, John chapter 1. And Isaiah 9 is one of the really key prophecies that that's going to happen. Um, In Isaiah 9, they're talking specifically to the area of Galilee, a region of Israel where we know Jesus based his operations, right? He was born in Bethlehem, um, but most of his ministry was operated out of Galilee, this other region. And so this prophecy talks to that concept. Um, we've been looking at one of the ideas each week of what Jesus's incarnation brings into the world. So Jesus didn't just leave us here, but he, he pursued us. And this week we're focusing in on peace. We live, for the most part, in a society that uh, doesn't suffer too much physical violence, right? I mean, obviously there is physical violence, but we're better off than, than most societies. But, but we all have experienced some level of physical violence, and we all for sure have experienced all kinds of emotional turmoil and spiritual turmoil in our life. And and Christ comes to bring peace in all of those ways. All of those ways that we experience turmoil, Christ comes to bring peace, that things would be as they should be. So let's read uh, Isaiah 9, again, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nation. So again, he's prophesying to the specific region of Israel that big stuff's going to happen here. Verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Mighty God, everlasting Father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us this morning. God, we ask for you to meet us here. We we thank you for your word. We believe that, that you do speak through your word, and we pray that your spirit would help us to hear. God, you know that we'd rather listen to our own voice, and so we pray that you would soften our hearts so that we would listen to you, and we pray that you would teach us what it means to live in peace, what it means to experience peace with you and with other people here in this world. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many years ago, I was a junior high youth pastor, um, and a lot of that involved teaching the Bible to kids, teaching Sunday school, training volunteers. But sometimes we would do events just for fun, just to go out and have fun with the kids, experience new things. And one weekend, we were playing paintball. Any of you ever done paintball war before? A lot of fun. I know most of you have actually you know, played with real guns. But anyway, we were playing with paintball guns um, where you shoot the little you know, paint bullets and everything. And we had a great time, and I was there with junior high kids, and we, you know, we had our battle. We were out in the woods, somewhere near Nolanville, and had, had a really good time. And then now, it was kind of the aftermath. We were, we were cooling off, you know, taking off our masks. We were dripping with sweat, trying to relax, drinking some water, just kind of kidding around. Um, and there was this one kid that had joined us that day that wasn't a real regular part of the group. And... Just to be honest, this kid kind of annoyed me. He, he'd been there sometimes, but not regularly, and he was, he was the kind of kid that was real sarcastic and kind of always needling the other kids in the group. And, and so there was like this, there's already just a little bit of a, I just didn't really like this kid being around. Um, and, and this day, he, he took it a step farther. He wasn't just verbally picking on other kids, but he actually assaulted one of the other kids. And as, just as a shepherd over these kids, I got really angry and um, just you know, grabbed him and kind of threw him up against the wall and was telling him to stop. And in that moment, I didn't take it any farther than that, but in that moment, just relax. It's okay. In that moment, I, I realized, man, there's something, there's something off inside me because I was so angry, right? Like I just wanted to destroy him. I, I didn't want to just bring peace to the situation. That's what I was telling myself. I wanted to see him, you know, utterly destroyed. And I realized inside of me, there's something that scares me, right? Um, we, We all want to establish peace and we have different levels of authority depending on what your job is and what your role is in your family. You know, we have a job to bring justice and to bring order wherever God puts us. So I'm not arguing that I should have done nothing, What I'm saying is, sometimes in these moments where you are trying to establish peace or you're trying to bring justice, you know, if you're a parent, sometimes when you're trying to bring discipline, you realize, man, there's something, like there's something broken in my soul. There's a lack of peace in my own soul where where I want to take it much farther than it needs to be taken. And that was just a wake up call for me. Uh, We've all probably had moments like that. You know, nothing really terrible happened. I just realized in my own heart there was a lot of turmoil. I just realized in my own heart, there was a lack of peace and I wanted to take it much farther than it went. So what I'd like you to think about is those, those moments in your own life when you've had that kind of wake up call, when you've realized, you know what? I can't bring the peace myself that I wanna see in the world. Christianity is a religion that basically starts with, there's something wrong with me and I need peace to come from the outside. I can't bring it myself. Now, the false religion of Christianity, as Christianity is often advertised, is we're the people that think we've got it all together and are better than everybody else. But Christianity 101 is saying, God, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says there was the religious guy that said, thank you, God, that I'm better than everybody else. And then there was this tax collector, the sinner, that said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one that goes home justified today. He's the one that's righteous. So Christianity 101 is starting with this posture of realizing, man, I need peace. This world needs peace, but there's something wrong with me. I need a peace that is supernatural. I need a peace that only God can bring. What I'd like us to do is work through a couple of New Testament texts this morning and then work our way back to Isaiah 9. We started with Isaiah 9, this prophecy that Jesus is the one that's going to bring the peace. Right? It said... That this government will be one of peace, he'll be a prince of peace, there will be no end to his peace. That's what Isaiah 9 tells us. So what does that look like in the real world? I'd like us to go to a couple of other New Testament texts and then work our way back at the end to Isaiah 9. So the first thing I want us to look at is that incarnate peace is countercultural, And we see a great example of this in Ephesians chapter two. So if you have a Bible, if you can flip over to Ephesians chapter two, if you're looking at the black Bibles. Under the chairs, it's page 977, Ephesians chapter 2. The idea here is that incarnate peace is countercultural. What that means is that it works against the grain of the culture as we know it, right? There's a kind of culture that human beings create on our own without God's help. Um, Lord of the Flies is a great example of that, right? So there's a kind of culture that we create, and things don't always go well. We need a countercultural culture kind of peace. We need a supernatural uh, change in our culture. So look at Ephesians 2. We'll read verses 13 through 19. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So throughout Ephesians, it all centers around what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And so the message of the cross is that we're sinners and that a price needs to be paid. And that that price was paid on the cross for us by Jesus. That Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. And not only that, Jesus gives us the righteousness that he lived out. And so our sin is placed on him and his righteousness is given to us so that when God looks upon us, he delights in us as his very own child. We are seen as righteous as Jesus himself because we're hidden in Christ. And so Paul starts there. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, those of you that were outsiders, have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. We brought, we've been brought into the inner circle. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace. So Jesus is our peace. He's reconciled us. We were outsiders. Now we're insiders in the family of God. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This operates kind of at two levels. He's talking about the law being abolished in Christ. So what that means just in view of the law of God is none of us fulfill the law of God perfectly, right? So Jesus fulfilled it for us. And so this has been done away with. Our our bad standing in relation to the law has been swept away through the cross. And so now we have access into the Father's presence. We have now the holiness of God given to us by faith through Jesus. It also operates at a cultural level. So all of us with different cultures have different laws, right? You were probably brought up and told things like, we don't do that kind of thing in our family, right? Anyone ever said that? No son of mine will do this. Or my daughter is not going to do that sort of thing. Have you have all ever heard that before? Your parents ever say that? Some of you, those of you with parents, I guess. So, so people say these kinds of things in families, okay? They say, that's not how we do things. That's not how we're going to live. I'm not going to allow you to do that. And so we all, no matter where we grew up, no matter what family we were raised in, we have a law to live up to. The problem is if you study uh, anthropology or you study different cultures, you realize that no person in any culture lives up to the laws and standards of their own culture. None of us, no matter what our culture is, no matter where it comes from. So the way that Romans says this is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned against the eternal perfect standards of a holy God, as outlined in the Ten Commandments, and we've all sinned against the cultural standards of our own tribe and culture. We've all failed to live up to the standards that have been placed before us, but through Christ, we're reconciled together. In Christ, we are one people. He goes on and he says in verse 16, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we don't have to fight with each other anymore because now we're united in Christ with each other. It says in verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So what this is teaching us is that our tribal cultural identity is secondary to our identity of being united as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one in Christ. And so diversity, diversity, Uh, Racial reconciliation is something that's very valuable to the culture these days. And it's valuable to us because of the cross. It's valuable to the culture in and of itself because of its own glory. But to us, it's valuable because it's a sign that points to the reconciling power of the cross. We're one in Christ because of what Christ has done, not because we're so hip and we're into diversity, right? Those are kind of two different things. They might look the same, right? The fruit of diversity might be we're a different sort of people and we all come from different backgrounds and we all have different flavors and different styles and different colors and we're united in Christ. And that result should be because of the gospel, not because we've uh, decided that we wanted to be uh, approved of by the world that loves diversity, but because diversity is a natural fruit of the uniting work of the cross because we recognize we're all the same. The way uh, Romans chapter five says it is we're in one tribe or the other. We're either in Adam's tribe or we're in Christ's tribe. We're in the tribe of, of sin or in the tribe of forgiveness and salvation through Christ. So there's only really only two tribes in the world according to a biblical worldview. I, I wanna go a little further here and look at a, a, another part. If you jump down into Ephesians three, there's this one verse that I really love because I think it makes it more clear. So this is a theme Basically, chapter two all the way through chapter three in Ephesians, he's talking about the access that we have into the Father's presence through the, through the cross, right? So we're adopted by him, we're in his family because of what he did for us through Jesus. So we have peace with each other because we have peace with God. And that unites us socially because we're united spiritually. Do you see that? So one comes first and the other is secondary. And then he goes on to describe what this looks like in Ephesians chapter three. So in that next chapter, in verse 8 and 9, he's talking about this gospel, the, the riches of Christ. And in verse 9, he says, and I'm, I'm preaching this to bring to light for everyone what is in the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So verse 9, that sounds very mysterious, right? He's saying, I'm preaching this mystery. There's this mysterious plan that God has. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That word, manifold wisdom, it's displayed in the church. I've talked about this many times before. the The Greek word literally means many-colored, multicolored. It's polyklos, and so manifold is a, is a fair way to translate it. Some translations say multifaceted, right? So God's displaying His manifold wisdom in the church. He's displaying His multifaceted wisdom in the church. But the most literal way to describe this word or to translate this word would be multicolored. God's multicolored wisdom is on display in the church. And so we get to be a part of uh, showing the world what peace looks like. Again, it's not an artificial peace. It's a very deep peace where we are willing to set aside our secondary preferences in order to love each other, recognizing that we're united in Christ. Does that mean you never have preferences? Does that mean your family doesn't do things the way fam- your family does things? No, we all, we all still have our unique ways of doing things, right? Um, in our family, uh, we make our kids make their beds, right? Some of you might do that. Some of you might not. Now, what if I came here week after week and preached to you that you cannot have access to the Father unless you make your bed? That would just be weird, right? That's a tribal boundary, that's something that we think is right and good and true when we teach our kids, but it's not ultimate. It's a secondary issue. It's a it's a tribal practice. It's a family practice. It's just the way we do things, right? And the way we do things might be uh, living out eternal principles of discipline and order, blah, blah, right. You know, I mean, there might be things that we could say that points to, but it's a secondary issue. And so, as believers, we should be united in Christ and be able to discern between primary issues and secondary issues. We should be able to love each other, do the hard work of listening to each other so that we can display the multicolored wisdom of God. God has already done that to a large extent in our community here in this church. We are a a multicolored church. We are a multifaceted church, and so we're thankful to God for what he's doing through Christ because it is a supernatural work. But we're praying that that he would do more of that. We're praying that he would teach us how to do more of that, especially now in our culture when it seems like, I don't know if y'all feel this way, but for me, it seems like racial tensions in our broader culture are higher than than they've ever been in in my lifetime. I'm sure things were worse in the 60s, but I wasn't born yet. So in my lifetime, this seems like it's the worst that it's ever been. Um, And so we have an opportunity here to be an example of what real peace looks like. What does real peace looks like? It, it looks like loving God and loving each other. I was thinking of just a, a visual picture of this and thinking about wildflowers. You know, outside, everything's kind of dead right now. So let's look at a picture of wildflowers and, and have hope towards the spring again, um, looking forward to what God will bring. There's a picture of wildflowers. we get got the blue bonnets. And I like this picture because it's multicolored, right? Sometimes you'll just see a field of blue bonnets on the side of the road. But this one, you've got the yellow ones. Someone shouted out the... Uh, scientific name for it. I have no idea what it is. Anyway, there's the yellow flowers, the red flowers, the blue bonnets. I know the name of those ones. Um, it's, it's multicolored. So you've got flowers blooming in a dry place. It's a cool thing about Texas wildflowers is it's a, it's a harsh environment, but still these flowers bloom. And they're an example of, of God's creative power and what God's doing in the world. And, and Paul is saying in Ephesians that that's what he wants to do in the church. The church should be a place that that gives us an example of how it says in in, uh, Revelation chapter 5, every tongue and tribe before the throne of God, worshiping him. Not because of where we come from, but because of him and his grace and his goodness. We can be a united people that uh, lives this out. What are some things we could do to pursue this? Jeremiah 29 gives gives a good example. In Jeremiah 29, God is speaking to his people when they were in exile. And so when God's people were in exile, he told them to do this in Jeremiah 29. He says, Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So that should be our posture towards the city. Many of you that have been sent to Fort Hood kind of feel like you're in exile, right? So listen to these words Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God has given us a lot of gospel fruit that's countercultural, right? That is not the kind of uh, peace that the world has, but it's a countercultural, gospel-centered peace. And I think God is doing great things here in our church, but, but we want him to do more, right? We're, we're praying for more. We're pursuing more, and we honestly don't really know how to do that. We don't know how to do that, so we, we pray. We pray that God would teach us. Um, just last week, there was this great uh, discussion online that you could go find online at the kinos.org uh, website. You could look it up on our website as, as well. We have links to it on our Facebook page and on our city page. Um, but a great discussion of what racial reconciliation should look like in the church. I would encourage you to, to watch that. It's just a quick two-hour video. You'll, you'll enjoy it. It's really good. Um, it, is, it is really good, though. I would encourage you to watch it and pray with us. Probably uh, first or second week of January, we'll set aside some devoted time as a congregation just to pray and seek the Lord and say, God, help us to do this better. Help us to be genuinely countercultural, living out this supernatural peace that you say you're bringing into the world. Help us to display that. Show us how to do that. We, we wanna be better at pursuing the things of the Lord instead of pursuing the things of ourself. Instead of pursuing our own preferences, pursuing real gospel-centered Peace, Jesus-centered peace, as he says in Ephesians chapter two, he is our peace. It's not something we can make up. It's not something we can manipulate or craft. It's something that happens as we're pursuing Jesus. Well, the next thing that we see is kind of a continuation of this idea of, of prayer. Uh, incarnate peace is is messy, and if you'll flip over to Philippians chapter four, we've got a great example of how to live out God's peace in the mess right? We all live in a mess. Um, your life might be perfectly ordered, but my life is kind of a mess, right? Uh, my friends are, have problems. There's sickness. There's broken relationships. You know, I have aches and pains. It's just, life is a mess. Some weeks are more stressful than others. If you flip over to Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 4, it's just a few pages over on page 982 in the Black Bibles, Paul gives a great example of how to live this out. And in context, we're skipping these verses, but the first few verses of chapter four, he's talking to two people that can't get along. He's saying, hey, talk to these people and and try to get them to work things out because they're having a big fight. So try to help them work things out. And then he comes in in verse four, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That means he's here, he's with us. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is that it's possible to have this supernatural peace that is surpassing all understanding, right? That doesn't make sense because of the mess and the chaos that we live in. Now, I want to uh, just explain something here in verse 6, because I know those of you with a sensitive conscience are probably uh, feeling a little alarmed right now, right? Because it says, do not be anxious about anything. And so some of you are thinking, um, that makes me anxious. It's telling me not to be anxious, and I'm getting anxious thinking about how I'm anxious, right? And it's just a cycle, and you can't get off of it. Uh, what I want to explain to you is that the, the Greek present tense always has a continuous aspect So anything in the present tense in the Greek in the New Testament always means ongoing, practicing, remaining, okay? So so what he's saying is don't remain anxious. Don't stay in your anxiousness. You're going to be anxious, right? You're going to be anxious. That's not like an automatic go to hell card every time you have anxiety, okay? It's in the anxiousness, pray. In the anxiousness, pray. Don't remain in the anxiousness, but pray. It's gonna be messy. When you're in the mess, pray. When you're in the chaos, pray. So so let me read it again. Don't be anxious, don't remain anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, supplication is a fancy word for prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a supernatural peace, it's a mystery. It's not something we can really explain, but what he's teaching us is we're going we're gonna to live in a world that is a mess. I, I wish I could tell you, uh, like some of the prosperity gospel teachers, that if you give enough money, your life won't be a mess anymore. But I can't tell you that because it's not true. Now, I would love for you to give more money, okay? So feel free to do that. Give more to the church, but I can't promise you that it's going to solve all your problems, okay? It's not going to demessify your life. Your life is still going to be a mess. But in the mess, pray. In the mess, Pray. There's a great uh, example. I was thinking of of this. Maybe you won't I think it's a great example. I think it's a great example. I, I was thinking of how, like, in these chaotic moments, we need help. Uh, I have a picture here of a uh, bomb. It's not a real bomb, so don't be afraid. But it's it's actually a bomb alarm clock I found online, so you could order this if you want to, like, wake up in a really stressful way every day. And I was thinking about all these times in movies. It seems like this repeated motif in a movie where someone's on the phone talking to a bomb expert, trying to deactivate a bomb. Have y'all ever seen that in a movie? Seems like that's in a million movies. It's either that or delivering a baby, right? You're talking to the doctor or the bomb expert. Okay, how do I do this? And uh, it's scary. And, and I would say that's, that's kind of where we should live with our prayer life, right? So I hope I didn't just make it sound terrible and stressful, but your life's already stressful, right? Your, your life is already messy. It's already chaotic. And so what I'm saying is in, in the mess, pray. Pray in that moment. Talk to God, ask him to help you. Uh, and if you don't know where to start, Romans 8 is really encouraging. Uh, Romans 8, who was written by the Apostle Paul, who had memorized the entire Old Testament, uh, who had written most of the New Testament, and is arguably an absolute genius. Paul says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the most brilliant professor, pastor, academic person that knows Jesus and loves Jesus in the history of the world just said, we don't really know how to pray. We don't know the right words. We don't really know how to do this. But the Spirit will help us. So I hope that's encouraging to you. In the mess, pray. Don't in the mess go, I don't really know the right words and not sure how to do this. Just say, God help me. Just start talking to Him and the Spirit will help you. The Spirit will help you. I have a couple of great quotes I'd like to read uh, from one of my favorite books on prayer. It's a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I, I can't recommend this book enough. It's very helpful. And Paul Miller says this on page 72. He says, instead of hunting for the perfect spiritual state to lift you above the chaos, pray in the chaos. You see that? So he said, instead of trying to find this spiritual nirvana where you're floating above it all, pray in the middle of it okay? Pray in the middle of it. Pray in the chaos. And then he has this other quote on uh, a few pages later. He says this, prayer is feisty. Prayer is feisty. I love that phrase. And he goes on and he says this, cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we are engaged in. It is without hope. I love that because my heart wants to be cynical. I really value authenticity. I think it's a great value, but oftentimes worldly authenticity lands at the dock of cynicism. And so often our hearts go there. We protect ourselves. We live out cynicism and it is without hope instead of the feistiness of prayer. God wants to see a little fight in us, I think. Let me read it one more time. Prayer is feisty. Cynicism, on the other hand, merely critiques. It is passive, cocooning itself from the passions of the great cosmic battle we are engaged in. It is without hope. God calls us in the middle of the chaos to pray. Don't remain anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God, talk to him about it. The supernatural peace of God that, that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to come back now to... Isaiah chapter 9. If you flip back over to the middle of the Bible, we'll finish here. Isaiah chapter 9 again. It's page 573. Incarnate peace is alien. Incarnate peace is alien. And what alien means really is it just comes from the outside. Um, So it doesn't necessarily mean a Martian, right? Uh, The word can just mean someone that comes from the outside. Incarnate peace is alien. That is is central to the Christmas story. Uh, We were broken. We were hurting. We were trying to solve things on our own, and God swoops in from the outside to rescue us. So Isaiah 9, we'll just read the last couple of verses I read earlier, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is a promise, this is a prophecy, one of the many prophecies that only makes sense as they're fulfilled through Jesus. We have this picture of an outsider coming in and rescuing us. In a democracy, I believe we have this kind of two-year cycle of putting our hope in human leaders, right? We, we hear uh, candidates fighting it out, and we have a responsibility to involve ourselves in that process. I would just say the New Testament's clear that Christians should participate in the process in their country, right? We should uh, pray for the welfare of our city, like we saw in Jeremiah 29. We should vote. We should be involved. But we have to always be involved kind of holding that hope loosely, recognizing that the ultimate savior is not going to come through the next election. The ultimate savior has never come from an election, but the ultimate savior came from the outside, right? So I have a, a picture here of a ballot box. You've got people voting here. Just to remind us that often in our culture, in our context, we have this great privilege. It is a beautiful thing. I'd even argue this is, you know, the best system people have ever come up with when it comes to government, but it's still not enough, the, the system still can't save us. We need a Savior that's, that's not just human, but also God. And so that's what we have in Jesus. We have someone who is 100% man, but he's 100% God. He, he is the, the God man who comes from the outside to bring peace in an alien way. Outsider. It's not something we can work from the inside. It's not something we can vote into power. It's not something we can strive for, but it's something that God sends to us. Luther talked about the idea of Alien righteousness. It's not a righteousness that we can achieve by doing enough good things or by fulfilling the values of our culture or our tribe, but it's a righteousness that has to be gifted to us. It comes from God. It's lived by Christ and it's accepted by faith, just trusting his goodness to us, trusting his love. Well, as we wrap up, I was thinking of another uh, fight that I broke up one time I used to run a teen center. Um, so I used to do a lot of different stuff with the youth. I ran this teen club, think like boys and girls club, but for teenagers. Uh, and we were having an event one night called a fifth quarter. Have y'all ever heard of those before? Fifth quarter, it's mathematically impossible, but it's what, it's what we would do after a football game, right? So we'd have a big party at the teen center after the football game. So we'd have food and we'd have games and we'd have a dance and all this stuff. So um, I'm in charge of this big party with like 350 teenagers, okay? And they were junior high kids, right? So it was uh, in some ways even crazier. And and so these kids were all there and it was a crazy chaotic night, but we we made it through. And it was the end of the night and now we were kind of enjoying some peace. We were relaxing a little bit. Um, I was in my office counting the money from the money box. You know, everybody had paid for the snacks and to enter in that night. Uh, one of the guys was mopping someone else, you know, was cleaning up something that night. And we had just different workers there. And then one of the workers came screaming into my office, Dave, Dave, there's a fight. And he was all freaked out, you know, and he was like yelling and out of breath. And I was like, what? And he's like outside. And I, I look through the blinds and all 350 of those kids are now across the street. And there's just a giant mob, right? So there's this giant mob. It's, it's just two kids fighting but then 350 supporters gathered around them. So I run out there and I, I run out and I'm trying to you know, break them up and I'm, I'm trying to pull one kid off of the other kid. Um, and, and in that moment, I, wasn't, I probably wasn't as scared as I should have been, right? Because they're junior high kids and they're smaller than me, but there were 350 of them. And as I'm pulling one kid off, the other kids behind me start punching and kicking me, like saying, get off him. Like, like they're trying to support the... The fighter, he was related to them or something, and they're yelling at me and punching and kicking me while I'm trying to pull off these kids apart from each other. I'm thinking, I'm here trying to establish peace, and I'm going to get killed, right? I'm going to die here. I, I, in that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen. But then something cool happened. The, the police drove up. <laughs> and uh, there was loud sirens, and there were lights flashing. And all of a sudden, those 350 kids disappeared. It was just like they were just gone, right? And and finally, s- some peace, some justice was was being established, and I was thankful because I was saved. Um, at, at Christmas time, we remember that, that we couldn't bring the peace, we, we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed God's help, and God says, "That's who I am. I'm here to help. I'm here to save you. I, I'm coming. I have come. I." I have arrived. And so, really, the deal for us at Christmas time is, is to remember that and to celebrate that, to begin letting that peace work its way out through our lives to those around us, so that we would know the supernatural peace of having access to the Father through Christ, and that would then result itself in socially us having peace with each other, and us loving each other, and us serving each other. And Christmas time is the time we celebrate that Prince of Peace that was sent for us. I want to just finish with one of my favorite lines from Longfellow's poem about Christmas Day. This has been made into a song as well. He says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you bring peace. We pray that you would... Fill us with that peace. You'd help us to know it, even in the chaos. Help us to live it out. Help us to trust your work for us. Help us to be a people of peace that display your multicolored wisdom in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.